oh, this, this morning is a morning of change, no doubt. Um, I was telling the, the first service at nine that like I, I realized last night laying in bed, like I got to set my alarm a little earlier. Um, and nevertheless, I was late. Now, here's the deal, though. I was up late because I was watching the Braves try to clinch a division, and I was watching NC State just give a game away to Clemson. And so it was a later night, and I knew that if I needed to set my alarm because I was getting here early this, earlier this morning, and I got in my car this morning, and I realized my car didn't have gas. Now, I've been riding on E for a little while now, but here's the thing about getting gas this morning, because you, you might think, well, that takes no time at all, so like, why, why were you that late? Well, a couple days ago, I had to drop my car off uh, to get a door fixed. And so insurance was like, hey, do you need a rental car? I said, in fact, I do. So I go to Enterprise. Uh, Emily takes me to Enterprise. Emily's my wife. She takes me to Enterprise. And I pick up my rental, which happens to be a Chrysler minivan. Now, that's all they... Literally, we walked out there. This guy's name was Cameron, okay? So if he's watching this, Cameron, I'm calling you out because I was supposed to, I had an appointment for, for, to, to, to pick up a car and everything. And I go out there and he said, dude, all I have are these two minivans. And I'm like, you have nothing else. Nah, man, I don't. So I'm in a minivan for the next couple weeks or whatever. Now it's a nice minivan. So you think, okay, well, Adam, what's, what's the issue with being late this morning? Because it's, it's a minivan. Well, apparently, and I didn't know this, the Chrysler that I'm driving is a uh, 2022 vehicle. So it's really nice. And this morning I pull up to get gas and I am looking everywhere for a button or a hatch or a lever or something that says gas tank. So I get out of my car and I'm like, I'm laying, I'm like, okay, here's the trunk or the, I said that in the first service too. Here's the hood. And I'm like laying down trying to see if there's a button or a hatch or, or whatever there is. Then I'm looking on the door, right? Well, it's gotta be on the door. There's got to be a button that opens the gas uh, cap. Did you know that in 2022, Chrysler has decided that the best way to do this is to create it so that you have to push on the hatch and then it pops open. It w- Everybody knew this? People are nodding. Like, y'all knew this was a thing? I was like, what have I been doing? I couldn't figure it out. I, it literally took me longer to get gas this morning because I was national treasuring it, like trying to figure out where the hatch is on this van. And I finally just like, popped it open. So I share that story because it has nothing to do with Acts 25. However, if you maybe uh, did some different things this morning to get here at an 11 o'clock service, maybe you slept in when you normally don't because we have a 10 o'clock or, or whatever your morning looks like this morning, we are glad that you are here because as we go to two services, man, me my, you know, and, and my wife and our leadership here, we're really pumped about what the Lord will do as we make more room for people to meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And so with that in mind, we've been in the book of Acts since February, looking at the mission of the church, looking at uh, faithful men and women, not perfect, but faithful men and women who have been indwelled by the Spirit to do all that the Lord would have for them. And since we've gotten to Acts 21 just a couple weeks ago, we've entered into this years-long, as far as the history of what Luke is writing here, but month-long for us, where we've been looking at a judicial battle and Paul is in the courts once again. Because here's what we know as we open Acts 25 today. We are not immune to thinking, oh my gosh, this again? Like Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Do we really need another chapter describing the the, the court that Paul has been in? Do we really need another chapter where it's like, this is happening again? Because Luke is almost like a broken record. We have 
In 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 and 25, and even in 26, which we'll look at next week, there's this no details spared. All the details are there, and it's a broken record type of writing. And so as we study this morning, and before we are quick to think, man, why are, why are we going through this again? Like, what can we, didn't we learn uh, this a couple weeks ago? Like, what we're to do when, when the Lord is doing something that we don't understand? The answer is yes. But also a question that I wrote down in my notes as I was studying this was, why did Luke take this much of his writing and consume it with the trial? I mean, that question has to be asked as we study the Bible and we read chapter after chapter of like, this is kind of the same thing with different characters involved. Why would Luke take up so much time in his writing talking about a trial? So before we dive into it, I just want to lay some parameters that we will work through today. So number one, why would Luke do that? Number one, he is telling a story in which there is historical accuracy and credibility. Guys, the Bible is a story. And so, for instance, we get things like in this year, Paul was here. And in this year, a guy named Festus, who we're going to be introduced today, we have, we have details about who was in charge, where Paul was, what the year was, and all that stuff. And the answer is why? Because Acts is a continuation of a historical, credible story. Now, when I just shared the story about me getting gas, did I share that story by saying, uh, so this morning I had to get gas and I got gas and then I showed up? Not much of a story there. I went into detail. What was I looking for? I was looking for the, the, the button or the hatch to pop for the gas tank. Like I was, I was, I was describing how I was, you know, national treasuring, trying to find the hidden compartment where the gas could be pumped. And I was going into details like, hey, it was early this morning. I was going into details like, hey, this is the car I was driving. I've never driven this one before. I've never put gas in this car. When we share a story, we go in details, right? And many times we forget that this is not just a book of like fairy tales where, where it sounds really good so we wrote it down. It's a historical book that we can look back on the timeline of our world and see there was a man named Jesus. There was a man named Paul. There was a 60 and 70 AD in which a man walked, in which Festus governed, in which Nero was Caesar. Like, like we have all these things, right? We, it's a historical, credible book. So why does Luke take so much time? Because he's telling a story. Second reason Luke takes so much time is because if he was to fast forward, it helps no one. I mean, think about it. What if we showed up this morning and we just read this? Well, Paul got saved and lived a stress-free life and, and, and he found new life and new freedom. Luke's not a liar. So as he writes... He's not going to lie to us. And if I was to get up here today, and if anybody who's on this stage or any church that you go to gets up and says, hey, new life in Jesus just means happy days. It's not always the case, right? Like many of us who are following Jesus in here or discovering what it would look like to follow Jesus, live these days where a lie that everything will just take, you know, everything will be great and, and, and here are five steps to a happy life. That doesn't help anybody. So Luke is not a liar. So he's going to go through all these details to share that it's a slow, mundane process that the Lord is working through. So a lie would not help us. You know what else wouldn't help us? A summary. If Luke was just like, well, Paul was arrested, and then he went through a trial, and then he was set free, and he was shipwrecked in Rome, and, and, and then we continue with the letters. We'd be like, well, why was he in prison? How, how long was he in prison? What, what, like, so who was in charge? Like, a summary doesn't help us. And Luke knows this. So inspired by the Spirit, Luke is writing a detailed, 
uh, factual-oriented story that the Lord uses. What we need in here this morning is the truth, all of us. Even if Luke comes across as a broken record, you and I need the constant reminder that God is working in our lives even when our lives are in a complete mess or at a standstill. I mean, remember what we saw a couple weeks ago? What were we talking about when it comes to the process of our lives? That God works slow. One theologian described Jesus as the three-mile-per-hour God because three miles per hour is how fast you walk. It's slow. We saw this promise a couple weeks ago where, Paul, where, where the Lord tells Paul, hey, you're going to get to Rome. And we know that it's a slow process. I mean, how slow is it? Well, let's, let's look. I mean, just at the end of, of 24, verse 27, it'll be on the screen. This is, this is how long it's been. After two years had passed... Festus succeeded Felix and became and and because Felix wanted to do, do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. So Paul gets this promise that the Lord has says, "Hey, just like you were in Jerusalem, it's necessary for you to get to Rome, and so Rome you will go." And then two years passes. <coughs> two years have passed since Acts twenty four and Acts twenty five, and we ask the question again: Why this slow, detail overloaded, broken record writing? Because this is reality. Have you ever asked yourself, depending on what you're walking through in life, have you ever asked the question, how long will I actually have to deal with this? Have you ever asked the question, when the circumstances arrive, arise, or when internal pressures arise, whatever you might be walking through this morning, have you ever asked this question, this again? This again, seriously? I thought I was past this. You see, I've had a counselor for close to four years now, and a lot of our conversation, I will verbally express to him, I thought I'd be past this by now. I thought my anxieties would be better. This again? Guys, that is the reality that we live in. And Paul has this promise, you're going to Rome. And we have this promise that the Lord is making all things new. What did Jeremiah 31 tell us in the beginning? That one day he will gather all his people. That is the promise that we are looking towards. But in the in-between, what do we do? I mean, heck, what did Paul do? He's given this promise, and then for two years, because this guy Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, keeps Paul in prison for two years. What do you think he did? Well, if we were to imagine a little bit, I bet he was a Jesus-following prisoner. I bet he prayed. I bet Paul sang a little bit because he's done that before when arrested. I bet he got upset. I bet Paul had those days where he was like, why am I doing this? Number one, I'm here for bogus charges, but why, why am I doing any of this? <laughs> I bet Paul made prison friends. He might have met prison Mike. That's right. Some, some people watch the office in here. The nine o'clock, we're like, what are you talking about? Uh, maybe Paul evangelized in prison. Don't you think he shared the gospel with some folks? I mean, I just wonder who got saved because Paul was put in prison for two years. But maybe Paul even, on his worst days, contemplated living anymore. I wonder if there are any days like that for Paul while he sat there for two years. You see, much of Acts is, is not superheroes doing uh, heroic things, but it's mission in the everyday rhythm of your life. The mission never stopped. Paul was just in prison for two years. But oh my goodness, is this not so hard sometimes? 
Like maybe we haven't spent time in prison, but we, we think about, man, I feel like the Lord is doing something in my life, but it's been six months and we still have no children. I'm, I'm still not married. Maybe there are things that you are holding on to and you were believing God for and they're good, righteous things. But right now it's so hard because you're in the midst of it. And we have this promise, you're going to Rome. And then we sit in prison for two years because some dude wanted to do the Jews a favor. And so here's the question that I wrote down, and it'll be on the screen. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's a, here's a question that I want to work from today. Have my current circumstances blinded me to the reality that the Lord is doing something in my life? Have my circumstances, my current circumstances, the things that are happening around me and in me, have my current circumstances blinded me to the reality that the Lord is doing something in my life? None of us are immune to this. And today, as we study the scriptures, let us examine that man named Paul. As he stands before another governor, he stands before another jury. And let us use our brains and examine, how is this man dealing with this emotionally? And, and recognize this morning, that trusting in the Lord no matter what is really, really hard. There are some things that make this even harder. Sounds really good, right? It sounds really good that when we're walking through it, that if we would just trust more, if we would just have more faith, God would meet us there. That sounds really good. But what if you're just not there and you're broken and you're thinking, man, God said I was going to Rome, but I've sat in this stupid prison cell for two years. What's happening? Guys, there are emotions here because Paul, while he was a faithful man that the Lord used, was still a man. And so today I want to navigate some emotions that you and I feel. I want to navigate through the lens of Acts 25 some, some, some emotions that you and I can easily feel. And when we are overcome by these emotions, how we can respond. And I say we with a capital W because I too am learning and growing from this. And so let's jump into it, Acts 25. We're not going to read all of Acts 25 today, so I encourage you to study a little bit more on your own after this. Um, as, as we jump into Acts 26. But Acts 25, the first three verses, here's what's happening. Two years have passed, okay? Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. So Festus is the new governor of the region at this time, and because he was the new governor, he's going to make his political round. So of course he's going to go to the holy city in Jerusalem, okay? So that's what's happening. The chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking for a favor against Paul, that Festus summon him to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. Just reading these three verses. You know what emotion I believe Paul was dealing with and that we too can deal with depending on whatever we're walking through? Write this down. We get tired. I mean, the Jews are once again presenting their case and two years has passed since Paul's been in prison, and immediately when a new man steps in charge, Paul's case and his trial goes to the top of the docket. And the Jews are once again planning to ambush him and trying to get Festus to do them a favor so that if he will send Paul to Jerusalem, they will ambush him on the road and kill him. Guys, we get tired. I mean, it's been years at this point, and Paul is still dealing with the slander and lies against him. That would make anyone tired. As Paul comes right back into a trial, 
And once again, the Jews are trying to ambush him. And he's having to defend himself against someone else. That would make anybody tired. And so I ask you this morning, are you just tired? And I'm not talking about like, I had to get gas at 7.30 this morning tired. I'm, I'm talking about like emotionally drained. That there's so many things going on in your life right now that your soul is just tired. You're tired of the fight. You're tired of the battle. It's so hard to see the future when our souls are tired, right? It's so hard to have a clear head to see the promise that the Lord has for us if we are in Christ Jesus when we are tired. But here's what we know. That's inevitable for all of us. If we were to go around the room, we could probably share stories of, man, this is happening, and it's really making my soul tired. It's really making my spirit tired. I don't know how much longer I can do this. We would go around the room, and it would be inevitable that we are sharing these things because we're all going through something, have gone through something, or will go through something that will tire us out. That's inevitable. But here's what's not inevitable. You carrying that alone. You being tired, that's inevitable. We all get there. There's all things that we cannot handle. The things, you know, when, when, when people say God won't give you more than, than you can handle, that's a lie. <laughs> yes, he will. Yes, he will. And there are all of us in here today that are holding more and carrying more than we can handle on our own. That's inevitable. That is the reality that we live in. What's not inevitable and what doesn't have to happen is you carrying it on your own. Listen to the words of Jesus today. It'll be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. In Matthew 11, Jesus is giving this call to his disciples. And this morning, uh, before you get out and run, I am quoting the message here because I think Eugene Peterson does a great job in describing what Jesus is getting at here. And so this is the words of Jesus. So if you were tired this morning, listen to this. Jesus begins, are you tired? What a great question, a thoughtful, caring question. Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Man, wouldn't that be nice? Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is your invitation this morning from Jesus himself. That just as Paul is dragged before another bogus governor who is trying to be persuaded by a crowd, and emotionally he is tired. If you were tired this morning, the invitation for Paul is the same invitation for us. And that is to get away with Jesus, to watch his rhythms, to watch his unhurried pace, to watch as he molds and shapes our lives and as he takes uh, you know, your burdens away from you and puts his yoke of, of kindness and love and peace upon you. Jesus is saying, what I am putting on you is not heavy. Jesus isn't here to make you more religious. He's not here to make you more tired with do this and don't do this. He's here to invite your tired soul to come find rest in him. So are you tired this morning? Are you just worn out? And before you're tempted to think, well, yeah, but I mean, I can handle this right now. Hold up two-pound weights long enough. 
They get heavy. Guys, it's inevitable that we're going to get tired because the reality we live in is sometimes really difficult. But what doesn't have to happen is that we carry it on our own. So we get tired. Paul has been fighting this for a while now. And it can be so hard to trust in the Lord when we get tired. And so not only do we get tired, but our second response to life sometimes is this. Write this down. We get frustrated. We get frustrated. What do I mean? Let's look at verse 6 in Acts 25. When he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, seated at the tribunal, he commanded Paul to be brought in. So this is still Festus. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. Years had passed, and we still have a mob coming from Jerusalem to make sure that their voices are heard against Paul. Then Paul made his defense, neither against Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned in any way. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried before me on these charges? So Festus is trying to do what they want. Let's go to Jerusalem and be tried on these charges. Paul replied, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and I am deserving of death, I am not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to do what these men accuse me of, then no one, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then after Festus conferred with his counsel, he replied, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. I mean, guys, how many times can you defend yourself before enough is enough? I mean, Paul knows that this entire trial that he is in is bogus. Because he even says as much, I am standing in Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. No, you're not taking me to Jerusalem. Because legal process would have me here. But if you won't try me here, then take me to Rome. Guys, how, how many times do you defend yourself before it's just frustrating? I mean, Paul is speaking out, and not only speaking out, but calling out, I haven't sinned against the temple. I haven't done anything against the Mosaic law. I haven't told these Jews to do what they are accusing me that I told them to do. And then he says, Festus, you yourself know. You yourself know that I haven't done this. Because if I have done this, and this is where Paul is like really making his defense. If I have done this, then kill me. But you won't because you know I haven't done anything. So I appeal to Caesar. You see, it can be the external that can make us tired. Our circumstances closing in around us. Maybe the voice of others that, that just drains us and makes us tired. It can be the external that, that presses in. But what happens when the external presses in? Guys, what's in you comes outside of you. If I was to squeeze a sponge and it had water in it, what do I expect to come out? Water. If I was to cut up an orange and squeeze an orange, what do I expect to come out? Orange juice. And many times our circumstances, and especially when we get tired, it squeezes us. And what comes out is this internal frustration and this internal temptation, if you will, to constantly prove ourselves time and time again. Do you feel the pressure to constantly prove yourself this morning? 
I mean, literally, Paul is standing on trial here. And he's having to time and time again defend himself before bogus charges that don't make sense. They're not even legal. That would frustrate anybody. And the frustration to constantly prove ourselves cripples, cripples a God-given mission that we have. If we are people who constantly feel like we must prove and defend ourselves, we will live in constant frustration. Let's take, for example, the social media dilemma. And this isn't science, and I'm not like anti-social media at all, but let's just evaluate our culture a little bit through the lens of social media. Every day on social media, our lives are on trial. Every day. Every day on social media, our lives are on trial, and we are constantly proving ourselves and defending ourselves. I mean, do you not scroll Instagram, and as soon as you see a picture, be like, man, what are they up to? What are they doing? How about this one? How could they afford that? I can't believe they bought that. And it's this silly cultural example that every day you and I are posting all the great things about us so that we can upkeep this image that Adam is a great husband, that Adam is a great pastor, that Adam is a great Christian. And I'm not saying I'm not. But what I'm saying is we constantly feel this need to prove ourselves, especially in a culture which says, show me your best, not your worst. Who's going home today to post their worst selfie? Or to really just, t- I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this, fellas or wives, but like, who's tweeting? Like, man, you'll never believe the fight that me and Emily got into, so here, let, here's where it starts. Like, I'm not tweeting that stuff. And constantly, we feel the need to prove ourselves before our peers. And when we do that, we give folks a power that is never theirs to wield. I love how Paul calls out Festus. I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm exactly where I need to be. And if I have done anything else, then send me there, but I haven't. And when we give folks this power that we must prove and defend ourselves before them, we give them a power that was never theirs to wield. And, and this is where the rubber really meets the road, especially with my soul, I don't know about yours. But when I feel like I constantly have to prove myself and defend myself, it blinds me to the reality that there is nothing to prove and no one to impress because of the gospel. Like, guys, I, I, will, I will be honest with you this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. Because of Jesus, we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. You know how hard that is for me? You know how hard that is for me to believe that because of Jesus and because of the gospel, there is nothing to prove and no one to impress? Like, I mean, one of the conversations that I have, one of those conversations that I mentioned with my counselor is this, like, why do I have this internal desire to always be approved of? Like, I always want to be liked. If you're not happy with me, I, don't, I literally can't sleep. Like, why is there this internal drive to always prove myself before people? I mean, even going to two services. I'm like, man, what if this doesn't work? Like, and people think I'm a bad pastor and it exposes my terrible leadership. Those are the things that, that, that track within my heart. And I don't know if you've been there. I don't know if you felt stuff like that. Where it's like, Lord, because of your gospel, and the gospel is the good news, that Jesus has taken your sin. He was the one that hung on a cross. He was the one that was buried. And he is the one that is resurrected and living today. That is the good news of the gospel. 
That because of that, there's nothing to prove and no one to impress. You know why? Because you're not that impressive and neither am I. The gospel is not you do your good stuff and sprinkle in a little bit of religion and maybe one day you'll make it to heaven. The gospel is we were dead in our sin. You know who's not impressive? (laughs) A dead guy in his sin. But that the Lord saw something and called something out and is doing something. That is the good news of the gospel. That because of that, Adam has nothing to prove and no one to impress. And neither do you. That God has given us a new identity, a new calling, a new nature. So we're new. Yet I constantly feel the pressure to defend myself and prove myself. And it doesn't stop with you guys, if I'm being honest. It trickles into my relationship with God. No longer do I just want to prove myself to my neighbor, but I want to prove myself to the Lord. And in this world, we feel the pressure to constantly defend and prove ourselves that I am a good worker, I'm a good spouse, I'm a good parent, I'm a good Christian. And guys, I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11. Where if you have this need to prove yourself and it tires you out, that God's promise for you is rest. God's promise for you is hope. God's promise for you is a new creation where everything is made new. Yet life happens. And the realities that you are walking in right now blind you to the heavenly realities that are all around you. But the question as we close today is do they have to? I mean, we've talked about a problem, right? It's a problem that our souls get tired and we're tempted to carry it all on our own. Like, it's a problem if we feel like I have to constantly prove myself, I have to constantly defend myself, and like Paul standing before Festus here, I get loud with others, and it's like, I haven't done anything. Do I have to constantly live in that? I mean, that's a problem. So what is the remedy? I mean, is the remedy simply just like, Lord, give me more faith? Give me more trust. Is, is that the remedy? Or could it be something else within the actual problem? What do I mean by this? What points us to the belief that people's homes shouldn't be destroyed by a hurricane and that people shouldn't feel unsafe? I mean, what points us to the reality? Oh, they don't have food, they don't have shelter, they should have it. What leads us to that belief? The hurricane. Is it not the hurricane that comes and points us that there has to be something better? Is it not the tragedies that we see in this world where we think, man, kids should be safe at school. Babies shouldn't be murdered. It is in the present reality of these evils that are around us that can actually point us to something better. Because like I said in the beginning, you walking through some really tough stuff is inevitable. But is the Lord providing a remedy within the problem? Could it be that these long, seemingly never-ending battles with tiredness and frustration point us to something better? Could it be that you don't need more trust or more faith, you just need a new set of eyes? And you need new vision. For when you are tired, vision to see that God gives you a heavenly rest. Not more trust in your tiredness, but a vision, a vision that says, why is this so weary on me? 
because you weren't meant to carry it. And it points us to that. When you were frustrated and you were constantly defending yourselves to your peers and to your family and to your coworkers, whatever, and you feel this pressure inside of you that is mounting up, and especially on social media, you got to prove yourself. Why does that feel so uncomfortable when we really think about it? Because it points us that that was never the, the, the point. It points us to the reality that because of Jesus, there is nothing to prove and no one to impress. Guys, could it be that in the problems we see the remedy? Why is Luke sparing no detail here in Acts 25 in the entire book? But we see this like, okay, he's still on trial. He's still on trial. He's still on trial because that is life. And the things that we are walking through, we can fill in the blank. It's still this. I still feel the need to, to prove myself. I still feel the need to prove myself. I still feel the need to prove myself. I'm still tired. I'm still tired. I'm still tired. It's not changing. It's not going away. The Lord had a promise for Paul that he's going to Rome. And it's interesting here that in this circumstance, uh, he didn't give Paul any details in, uh, in Acts 23 or Acts 24 about how he'd get to Rome. But here at the end of Acts 25, or as we get to the end of Acts 25, we have this appeal to Caesar. So through this bogus legal process, you know where Paul is going? He's going to Rome. He is using the circumstance of tiredness and frustration to orchestrate everything that he has had planned from the beginning. And Paul is going to get to Rome. Church, I want you to hear this morning that he doesn't waste a thing. And so as we began this morning with the question of, has our current circumstances blinded us to the reality that the Lord is actually still working in our lives? Our sermon in a sentence this morning is simply this, that our circumstances have the capability to illuminate everything that God is doing in our lives. Do they have to blind you? No. In fact, it is the circumstances surrounding you, even the ones that are so, so tough, that can illuminate everything that the Lord is doing in your life. When you're tired, it points to rest. When you're tired of defending yourself, it points to the heavenly calling that the Lord has called you son, that the Lord has called you daughter, that the Lord has called you his, and there's nothing to prove and no one to impress. The good, the bad, and the ugly can do all of that, and we're not going to be perfect. Like I said, let's not pretend like Paul spent two years in prison just singing, fasting, praying, and evangelizing. I'm sure he did all that. But I'm also sure that there were days where life didn't seem like it was worth living anymore. And so where do you find yourself today? Because here we go again. Paul's about to stand before King Agrippa in Acts 26 and share his story for a third time. And he's only doing it because Festus is going to tell King Agrippa, hey, this dude wants to go to Rome, but I can't send him there without any charges. So can you hear what he's done so that maybe you can come up with something? And Paul's in this, here we go again. We're doing this again? Okay, Lord, this is where you have me. And so find me faithful in it and allow the eyes of my heart to illuminate everything that the Lord is doing. Is the Lord working in your life this morning? You're here. You're here. So the Lord is doing something. And whether you're a follower of Jesus this morning or you've never confessed Jesus as Savior, 
You are in one of those two positions. One position that says, Jesus, I trust you, I follow you, but resurrect my trust, resurrect my hope, set my eyes and my vision on the promises that you have for me. Or maybe you're in this position where the Lord now is is lifting up your head. You've never felt this before, but you recognize, man, the Lord is actually drawing me above my circumstances to give me this new identity that no longer has to carry the burden of life on my own shoulders, that no longer has to defend myself and prove myself. That is the reality that we are in. And so this morning, wherever you find yourself, we are going to have a prayer team in the back. And if you desire prayer for, um, man, just anything, maybe you need renewed vision. Maybe you just need to hear the encouragement that you're going to Rome, that the Lord is going to get you where you need to go. It's just a slow process. Maybe this morning you need prayer that you would follow Jesus for the first time and that you would trust him with your sins and with your struggles and with your brokenness. Would Would we pray this morning that our vision would be turned towards him and whatever he wants to do? Because our circumstances don't have to blind us. They can illuminate us. And they can illuminate us to everything that God is doing in our world.